Kaysan, and hello. Welcome to Nordic Insights, where I introduce you to high-achieving Nordics and Nordic-inspired people with niche expertise in business, lifestyle, education, innovation, tech, travel, and more. I'm your host, Satu Raunola, a Finn passionate about all things Nordic, as well as yoga, running, sustainability, well-being, and great coffee. Listen in for some tips on Nordic approaches to a happier and more holistic business and personal life. Join me to explore Nordic common sense and trends in this complex world. This podcast is delivered to you every Wednesday. My guest is charming Swede Theresia Foss who has a remarkably successful career as an accomplished managing director and experienced board member across many industries in Sweden and in Australia. We talk about her journey from Swedish Lapland to Australia and her achievements and challenges as a female executive in implementing Nordic-style leadership across multicultural business environments. We would love to hear about your journey from uh, northern Lapland in Sweden to all the way to Australia. So I grew up in the north of Sweden in in a region called Lapland, which is uh, the very top of, of a very long and slim country called Sweden in, in Scandinavia and one of the Nordic countries. And um, grew up there in a very small village where we weren't many. We were a few hundred people who lived mainly off Uh, the general services that that were around in in the village but forestry is a massive employer in the area as well as mining my family was mainly engaged in the forestry industry and uh, we grew up in a very rural setting with um, we didn't have a farm as such but it was very much a farm-like environment where you you had animals and uh, we spent our practically all our childhood in in the forest Uh, we had horses at a very early age, and we were engaged with the horses, and and were 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 very free to roam and free to do what we want. And uh, we had a not a relaxed uh, childhood as such, but we we didn't feel a lot of pressure. But we always had tasks to do and things that we had to contribute with, and it was something that was very natural from the start. It was never anything that. Um, You sort of protested against because everyone in the family had a role and had was able to do something, and uh, we were entitled with a lot of trust that we were diligent and we we supported the family the best we could, and and there was never any question on on your ability. Your ability was always never questioned. It was something that um, you were expected to do a, a job or support and and uh, there was never a, any doubt that you were able to do what you were requested to do so you were free to roam outdoors a lot we didn't have any sort of organized activities when we were growing up so if you wanted something done you you had to create it yourself if you wanted to play theater you you sort out the theater groups yourselves and uh, we in our case we yeah the horses was everything for us so we we spent spent pretty much all summers in the forest with our horses and and um, came home f- for lunch and dinner but but was away uh, doing things all the time and and uh, we, we always had a lot of a lot of freedom and a lot of trust from our parents to 
look after ourselves and be safe. In Finland and Sweden, we have this thing called everyman's rights. What it means that the nature is free for everyone to enjoy. You are allowed to roam the countryside, hike, camp, fish and big berries and so on, as long as you respect private properties and respect nature. So that was a big part of your lifestyle as well. Yeah, well, because it's something that we take for granted. And, and I think um, it's a trust that society and the government gives its inhabitants, the population, to use use and, and roam free in nature. And uh, that freedom obviously comes with the trust from society that you won't you won't destroy property or you won't destroy nature you will you will pick berries and you will fish and you will go for walks and the trek and uh, but always do it with a common good in mind that you don't you don't abuse the trust that has been given you you look after nature but it gives you freedom to be able to enjoy the mountains and the forests and the rivers and uh, wherever your paths takes you so so it's it's um, freedom that is built on the trust of uh, society that we're we're here as guardians of the nature and as guardians of the common good and you then left the the beautiful nature in the lapland and moved to stockholm uh, as as a 15 year old i had to leave my home village and i left for kiruna i had to like all my friends in the same age group had to get my own apartment and live on my own since I was 15 years old and it was just something you did it wasn't even something that no one questioned it was what everyone did so I spent uh, five years in Kiruna and uh, did my senior years at school there and already then I started engaging through a different voluntary based association as a board member and um started building very very much um, an active network both with the, the uh, sort of council of Kiruna as well as the different associations the local UN association and there was a women's association that I was involved with and also different theater companies so uh, I, I even though I was a school student I was still very very active in in the society and enjoyed being a very young person but someone who was had a chair at the table and and was someone who who was relied upon to make decisions for the association or club or whatever it was so so I really really enjoyed that and then I yeah I left for uh, for, for Kiruna for Stockholm and spent uh, 10 years in Stockholm and uh, did a lot of study at the same time as I was working I was for the most majority of that time I was working for Stockholm Information Service which was still is it's changed names now but it still is the um, official tourism organization for Stockholm so we yeah I worked started out working as a consultant and then tourist consultant and then I moved into the marketing department and did a fair few years there working with a lot of media from all around the world as well as uh, different marketing organizations and we had lots of fun projects all spanning all over the world with partners in everywhere from Europe to Asia to America and uh, we worked on and that's I think that's when we met yes that's when time. we met first so <laughs> I, I think it was uh, in 1993 or 94 sometimes so it's, it's a fair few years ago for sure and uh, yeah so that, that, that was an exciting time and I, I did a stint at the Swedish foreign ministry whilst in Stockholm and I also was in advertising for, for nearly two years so so it was um, another busy 10 years in my life and and I um, 
was networking a lot and I was doing a lot of different fun projects, but meeting a lot of international people. And, and that's really, I think, the reason or what whetted my appetite to looking for, look, to look for a career outside of Sweden. And then you met the people from Craig Outdoors from Australia. Yeah, well, one one of the uh, projects I did, uh, or one of the tasks that I did fairly often, was to look after travel programs from all over the world. And uh, I spent a lot of time working with the Great Outdoors from Australia, uh, the travel show here that was hugely popular with Channel Seven. And uh, I w- at that time, I had the PR side of things was just uh, what I did as as a contractor on a freelance basis, and. And I had just left advertising and didn't have a full-time gig, so to speak. So I didn't know what I was going to do next. And, and the, the team at the Great Outdoors said, well, why don't you come to Australia? And, and it was really something I had never considered before. But I thought, well, why not? And it was a sudden decision that uh, a few months later left me with two suitcases in the backpackers in Sydney. And I didn't know north from south, but... But it was the beginning of a very exciting journey for me here in Australia. So, what was your life like here in Sydney? Sydney was, uh, of course, for, as for anyone who comes here, it's a very exciting place, and and uh, the beautiful beaches and and uh, feeling of people coming from all over into this one place. And uh, initially, I you know I was very confident, and I had degrees, and I had a lot of good experiences, and. I got a lot of phone backs on the resumes that I sent out, but it was really difficult for me to find a job because of my visa status. So I um, was struggling in the beginning a whole lot, and I was not starting to give up, but it felt really tough. And because I had a theatre background, I did a lot of extras work, but I also started working in a pub, which at the time felt like, oh, my Lord, is this really what I want to do with my life? But looking back at it, it was a very old pub, in Balmain, which is a very special suburb of Sydney, a very old suburb of Sydney. And it really became my ticket into Australian culture and society and and understanding Australia from where it compared to to what I would have otherwise done. It would have taken me years to acquire such an in-depth understanding of the Australian Australian psyche and uh, history and popular history and and, uh, it, it, it... It really was my ticket to Australia, those months in the pub. So how did you then end up getting into working the travel and tourism business in Australia and later in cruising business? During this time, I, I did meet with a few Swedish people and and one of my Swedish friends who was a student then in Sydney, she opened my eye to the fact that I could do my MBA in Australia and Sydney. And I always planned to do an MBA, but I had always had the States, the United States in mind to go and do my MBA. I applied and I got in and went back to Sweden very briefly just to repack pretty much. And during my time in Sweden, I spoke to another friend in Stockholm from the tourism industry who said that to contact a mutual, well, someone she knew who had just been part of a merger of two travel companies in Sydney. And uh, she said, well, contact him, see, maybe he needs someone. And I did. And literally the day after I arrived in Sydney, and 
and you met MD of my planet, uh, which was outbound and inbound operator to Scandinavia. He asked me, I need someone to do a magazine for me. Can you do it? And I said, well, why not? And uh, so I started promoting, uh, traveled to Scandinavia in Australia and did that for five years, first as a contractor and then as a as an employee after I had finished my MBA. But uh, we we were very successful in growing the business to Scandinavia. And so you were obviously very much part of that journey with us and, and the, the, the growth of the passenger numbers to all of the Scandinavian and the Nordics region was was phenomenal during those years and has really sort of laid the groundwork to where it is today. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, today it's extremely successful. But that time, I think, uh, you know, you you definitely and my planet and Bentos that time did an amazing job promoting uh, Scandinavian Nordics in Australia. Then your next move was to get into cruising industry and you established US-based Viking cruises in Australia. As a part of the products that we were selling at My Planet Bentos was Viking and and Viking had at the time sent out a senior executive to Australia to do a feasibility study on the country to see is this a place where we can start up our own office. And I had been very successful in selling Viking and had taken fivefold uh, increase their sales from from us in in one year and and so beca- I had become very friendly with her and, and she knew that I at that time had planned to to quite possibly go back to Sweden and continue my career in Sweden but what happened was that my then GM uh, one day came into my office and said that look I have resigned and I have put your name forward to the board to take over and uh, obviously at such a prospect it's not every day you're pretty much offered a GM role. I thought to myself, no, I'll, I'll stay. And uh, that night or very shortly thereafter, I, I met up with the person who had come from Viking and, and I told her this and she said, I thought you were going to back to Sweden. And I said, no, well, I'm not going to knock back a GM role. And she said, send me your CV. And literally three days later, I was on a flight over to Los Angeles to meet with the founder of Viking Cruises and to meet with the executive team in Los Angeles. And the rest is history. I started up and they gave me and trusted me with with building their business in Australia. And uh, again, history repeating itself, but I was given enormous amount of freedom. And I, I've always called that my tap on the shoulder moment because it's not often that someone would would tell you that here's a pile of money go and start a business and that's literally what happened and uh, it was uh, extremely successful and and obviously at the time the cruising industry in Australia was booming absolutely booming and uh, we we were fortunate enough to be trained but also build a brand from scratch with uh, an amazing team that I, I had around me. So you started there 2008? Yes. And you stayed for how long? So I, I stayed there until 2016. So I was there for eight years. And um, it was an, a wonderful experience. And I, I had such a great team, had a great salary and, and working for a company I really trusted and, and uh, still believe in. I believe that they're an amazing business, global corporation. But I came to a point where I didn't feel that I was learning anything. I, I could have continued there for another 20 years and do the same thing or just amplified everything bigger but essentially it would 
I, I felt that I came to a point where I wasn't learning. And that's why I started to reach out to my network that I had acquired through through my many, again, board engagements and, and uh, network in, in mainly in the Swedish business community and Swedish social communities as well. And um, an opportunity came up with the Volvo Group in Australia, which, which is based here in Brisbane. And uh, I applied for a... Um, a role as vice president of their marketing and comps team and uh, got a leadership got that role which was a leadership position with the management team there in Waco where the factory is and the head office and uh, had an amazing three years with with the Volvo group but in a completely different industry so it was a, a very quick learning curve to understand uh, the transport industry in Australia and uh, understand the manufacturing and uh, how the transport sector is absolutely critical to the Australian economy and what the challenges they have. So so, so that was a complete sidestep, but took me on a growth path that was was uh, exciting and, and really, it was, it was a really good time in my life, yeah. But if you think about Volvo trucks and the whole that world, isn't it very um, male world? How was it to work as a young, blonde, beautiful Scandinavian? How did you get along with the management? Well, with management or anywhere actually, but uh, it, it was it was a very interesting viewpoint to be a Scandinavian in a Scandinavian company in Australia, because. I spent a lot of time at head office in Gothenburg and where it felt like, well, it is. You step into a home environment and you're literally back home in Sweden where there is no gender bias. There is no a huge amount of very senior executives are female and never questioned, you know, that, you know, it's natural. And then coming to Australia where it still is a very, very male-dominated environment, females are still a bit of a novelty and uh, it's still a bit of a, a new thing. But um, so it was interesting to have that dual vision to a culture in Sweden and a culture here. Obviously, there were a lot of touch points as well in, in how to run business and what's important. But certainly the geographical distance and cultural distance was very obvious. And uh, I, I think where I was sort of, where, where, how can I put it, from... A relationship point of view in a in a culture that was very different. I think where I was very successful, or what was my door into that culture, was the fact that I'm a country kid. I'm a country kid who has been helping out on a farm since I could walk, pretty much. And looking at the industry, so I I, I built an amazing network, a very warm and great network amongst the operators, who are the mums and dads of the transport sector in Australia who are, a lot of them are country people like myself and a lot of them are people who have uh, the same experience of uh, living in the outback, so to speak, like myself. And uh, that was the common ground that was my door into their, their culture. And also that I'm, the fact that I am very much a country girl, I roll up my sleeve and yes, Sure, I put lipstick on and I have a nice dress on, you know, in corporate situations. But at the end of the day, as I always said, I've got dirt up in my knees and uh, I'm firmly connected to the environment where I'm in. And um, I'm, I will always have a, what's the word, an affinity 
with with the outback Australia because of where I come from because it, it's a very remote place. I never thought of uh, trucking and transport industry being you know run by many mums and dads and uh, in country towns and and the regional areas and I, I never thought about that so must be a very interesting kind of eye-opener for actually how the logistics and transport is, is operating in this country. Well, if you think about it, we don't have rail traffic to talk about. So everything everything we physically touch, use, consume has come on a truck. At some stage it has come across. If it's come on a truck from a farm or from a port in a container or wherever it's come from, it's come on a truck to where you are. Everything you touch. If you think about it, that the tolls, Linfox, Camerons, the big, big operators of Australian trucking, there are a handful, maybe two, both your hands. You know, there's so few of those really big ones. Of the 42,000 operators in Australia, the vast, vast majority of them are single operators. So one man and his truck and his usually his wife at home doing all admin, finance, all the back office stuff that needs to happen. And if you think about it just as, as um, if, if you say that you're in an entrepreneurial position and you love the idea of starting a business, imagine what it's like starting a business as a truck operator. Before you can send your first invoice, you will have to have made a capital investment, often of several hundred thousand, to have bought your tractor, tractor unit, your, your, the truck, plus put trailers on it. You, you, the trailer needs to have a certain fit-out. Maybe there's just curtains or it needs to have a skip bin on it, whatever you're you're going to do, as whatever the transport task is that you're going to perform. It needs a different a different type of uh, setup. And so think about that. Every time, every time you touch something, everything that you consume has been brought here on a truck. And most of those operators are mum and dad operations where they put their entire life on the line because to be able to finance such an operation is your kids' schooling, it's your house, it's everything that you need, that you can lose if you lose your business. It, it, it made me very humble and made me appreciate an industry that is not really talked about or if it's talked about, I hate those horrible TV uh, sensational TV grabs that the, the most of our TV stations do with truck driver doing this and that and horrible and in most cases they what they've done is try to avoid an even bigger accident so it's uh, it's uh, it's an industry that I think needs a little bit of a pat on the shoulder and and uh, yeah especially now during covid times I think we've all been painfully aware of how important an infrastructure is to a country that is so true and that is uh, such an eye-opening to think think that way actually that um, we really need to rely on the kind of transport logistics in this country how things operate and how we get food and anything really delivered so that's a really interesting viewpoint so from a volvo trucks what happened next in your career if i if i take one step back apart from the different uh, sort of full-time jobs that I've had. My main work that I've done, I've always done a lot of work with boards. As I said, I started my first uh, directorship position. I was only 15 years old, and I have maintained that sort of side career throughout uh, throughout my life because I'm passionate about 
good governance in businesses, and I'm passionate. I'm passionate about business, full stop. But but the governance aspect of me, I find extremely exciting, and also uh, societies need good business to survive, and uh, that's something that I would love to be continue throughout my life to be a part of. So uh, next to my career as as a full time marketing professional or MD. I've um, had different directorships and, and uh, both in community-based, like uh, the Swedish Church, for instance, but also with the Swedish-Australian Chamber of Commerce, which is the second oldest in Australia. It was founded already in 1911. I've been uh, engaged with them for many years and as president for five years, I think, and uh, have enjoyed uh, being part of a very strong and sustainable net business network in Australia. And in 2013, I was also another knock on the shoulder uh, opportunity when I was asked to join as a councillor of the Australian Maritime National Museum, which is a government appointment, which was was one of the highlights of my career, if I'm honest, to be part of that uh, council and uh, to that game is such an insight to uh, obviously Australia's maritime legacy, but it was also absolutely enthralling to be part of of a very senior professional board and uh, there as, as a guardianship of a very important collecting institution. So that was one of my highlights. And, and um, I left there in 2016. And um, after Volvo, I, I was um, approached to, to join a company called Imagine Cruising, but I was only there for six months. But that was another MD position that I, I took on and I've left there in January. Making video as a team is hard. Someone has to set up a Dropbox. People email in clips. Then someone has to edit them all together. But there is another way. Vloggy combines a super simple upload tool with a cloud-based video assembly site to make crowdsourced video compilations quick, easy and affordable. In fact, you can make multi-person video stories a thousand times cheaper and ten times faster than traditional video production. Find out more at vloggy.com. If we can go back to all your experiences running businesses uh, very successfully and, for example, your time uh, with the Viking River Cruises, how would you define your management and leadership style and is it Nordic way to manage? A lot of it comes down to what we talked about, you know, what I was growing up with and what is taken for granted in, in Sweden, the, uh, the right to roam in nature and uh, this borderless exploration of nature. That, ca- that freedom comes with the trust that you, as we, all, of, all of us as individuals, are given by the society that you're not going to destroy it, you're going to look after it, you're going to take it caretake the environment. That is so ingrained in us as Nordics, as Scandinavians, that uh, we we are given a lot of freedoms, but it's based on the trust that we are all caretakers of our society and our um, environment. And that is something I think we Nordics apply in the commercial context as well. We don't believe in hierarchy as the structure for your uh, output of the business. We believe that each individual is capable of managing the freedom that that individual is given and entrusted that the individual is there to look after the business and the the common good 
that we're trying to achieve. And I think the, the, this absence of hierarchy is very much something that is, is a Scandic, a Nordic theme, that we are, um, the boss is the boss and will probably have the last, last say or be the, the one who makes the decision in the end. But it's a collaborative approach to how we get to that end. And again, it's it built on that trust, the concept of trust as very much a part of, of how we structure ourselves. That uh, in, in simple terms, you would describe it that it's, as a manager, it's not my job to hang over your shoulder to make sure that you get your job done every day, all the time. As a manager, I trust you to do your job. And together we collaborate towards an outcome that we're trying to achieve. And for us to be able to make good decisions, we need everyone's input in the room. We need everyone's experience to help flavor the decision because the more the more people we have in the room with very diverse and different experiences and knowledge base and capacity, capability, the more diverse that composition is, the more successful we're most likely going to be to, to have a very, very um, well-rounded discussion, which probably will lead to much better decisions. So it is very important for you how to create a team and what kind of personalities and skills are in the team. Oh, 100%. 100%. Sure, different people, different um, cultural backgrounds, diversity, abilities. If you're too different, it could be very hard to communicate. But in terms of the innovation output, the quality of the decisions, I 100% sign off on the belief that the more diverse our teams are, not only gender and ages, but background, everyone has has uh, freedom to speak, Then, then I think the outcome will be will always be much better than if we're all too homogenous. And so do you think that this style, this Nordic style of culture, running businesses and creating teams, collaborating, is very different than here generally in Australia? I do think so. I've met that several times individuals who almost demand hierarchy, that, that given this, this freedom they get very lost in their own mind because... They're used to have that micromanagement work life. They're used to being told what to do. They're used to not being asked, what is your opinion? So you will, you will meet resistance and uh, uh, people will not be comfortable in that at all times. Also, diversity, as I said before, does create friction. I've several times seen work groups turned into sort of bullying fests because someone is too different from a few other people and then all of a sudden we're back at the school ground so uh, I think if, if there's one thing as a Nordic person I would like to bring is better acceptance for each other's differences more trust in us as a team that if, if we can have that circle of trust that we believe that everyone is here to do the best they can and people speak up then then we have we have a trusting environment where we believe that we can reach the best decisions but how do you do that this way of doing things is really ingrained to some people who are used to that way of doing things and thinking and that they expect it's come they have not learned to think 
themselves. How do you create this harmonious culture in a, in a group if their thinking is very different? Uh, there's, there's a lot of answers to that. I think if you want, if you come into such a work environment, you as the person leading that team need to have a very firm discussion with the person you're reporting to because you are now going to need to spend pretty much all of your time in transforming that team. You can't have many other tasks that you as part of your role need to perform because taking that journey is extremely time-consuming it can drain your energy tremendously because you're dealing with people's emotions and a lot of conflict. But you absolutely need that support from your reporting manager that this is now what I need to do to make this a functional team. But then, so that's one part. The other part is, is your communication with your team. And you need to communicate often and consistently on what is it the type of leadership that you are about. I subscribe to a coaching methodology and this is what that means. And repeating your message, repeating your message and spending a lot of time with each individual to help him or her to... Because at the end of the day, people act out of fear. That, that need for hierarchy stems from a place of fear of the individual. That if I make a wrong decision, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be shouted at. I'm going to do that. So little by little, working with that individual to build confidence and also trust in this is just because I'm giving you all this freedom doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm not relevant to you. You still need to communicate back to me what's, what's working, what's not working. But at the same time, if you make a mistake, I'm not going to fire you for it. We'll learn and move on, and let's not do that mistake again. But it's really quite deep work with that individual to build up their confidence that they're in a safe space and that I am here to back you. I'm here to make you successful, and together we're here to make this business successful. But understanding that that individual, has you have their back no matter what. But let's make sure we communicate. Let's make sure that we are there for one another and slowly but surely build up that confidence with that individual. So that's one part. The second part on the team side of things is this whole acceptance for diversity. And obviously spending time with the team as a team is important. But also also calling out behaviours that it's not okay to... You know, I'm sure everyone's been in situations where you have a meeting and one in, one individual is miles away on laptops or mobile phones or just not engaging and, and have very sort of dismissive answers. If you're part of the team, come prepared. And if you're not prepared, life happens. Then say, hey, guys, I've had a shit morning. I'm not prepared. But I, if there's anything I can't that is on, in my remit and I can't answer, I'll find the answer and come back to you. But... Let's just have that, again, create that trusting environment where we can all expect that everyone's input is there to create good decisions for the team and good outcomes from the, for the business. Uh, have you had any experience that there are actually people, part of your team, who will not accept this type of management? 
Oh, it happens so often. It happens so often. And and again, their reaction to it is, is of course, culturally bound because, yes, you are a woman and often I'm the, uh, often I've been one of the younger women and you're, you're a foreigner and, and there's so many things that doesn't fit the model of your your vision of a leader in this country. But say la vie, and you sort of just have to chip away on that block. And uh, as we say in Sweden, if you spit enough on a stone, it gets wet in the end. You just have to continue to work on what you believe in. But will you meet resistance? Of course you will. But keep at it and be the good role model. And when you feel that your faith in yourself is wavering or faith in society, faith in your team, faith in the company is wavering. Just keep coming back to what you believe in and why you believe those those concepts. Well, that sounds very inspirational. It's been absolutely delight to talk to Teresa today. And you have uh, definitely brought a lot of uh, interesting thoughts, uh, how you have experienced Uh, as, a, as a Nordic person to, uh, to run businesses uh, very successfully here in Australia. So thank you very much. It's been uh, great to have you on board. Thank you. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I would appreciate if you would leave a quick rating and review. You can also find Nordic Insights on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Voi hyvin, hade sopra, take care.